The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. We're just uh, extremely excited to be invited to the FedEx Orange Bowl and uh, appreciative to Eric and all the people there for uh, having faith in us and making this selection. Uh, extremely proud of our team this year. They did a great job. We have a great group of players and I've been very, very fortunate to work with a tremendous football staff for quite some time and I'm also appreciative uh, of our fans. They've just uh, been very, very supportive, longstanding and, and uh, certainly the last time we were in Miami, they, they did a great job turning out and I'm very confident that uh, our fans will follow us again this year. So it ought to be a really exciting environment. We're, we're thrilled to be returning to Miami, and uh, we realize it's going to be a great, great challenge. Uh, Coach Johnson's done just a, a marvelous job there in a very short time uh, at Georgia Tech. Uh, they've had two outstanding seasons, and uh, especially this year, winning the ACC, just a, a tremendous year. Uh, they've got a very explosive, uh, dangerous football team, and uh, you know it's going to be a great, great challenge for us. But we're, we're looking forward to representing the Big Ten and uh, the University of Iowa, and uh, you know, just looking forward to, to being involved in a great uh, week of activities and, and most importantly a great football game. Let me start out by just saying how excited we are to have the opportunity to come to uh, Miami and represent the ACC as well as Georgia Tech against a, a great opponent from the Big Ten. We have a lot of respect for uh, what Kirk has done there at Iowa with the program and uh, know that they'll be a very formidable opponent. This was our number one goal to start the season to uh, try to get to the Orange Bowl and I'm proud of our football team for uh, for making that happen. So Looking forward to a great game in Miami and, uh, you know, can't wait to, to get there and get started with all the Orange Bowl experience. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from HawkeyesMike.com. That was Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and Georgia Tech head coach Paul Johnson talking about facing each other in this year's Orange Bowl game. A terrific and thrilling season for the Iowa Hawkeyes, finishing 10-2 with the Orange Bowl yet to be played. This is certainly one of the top Iowa football teams in modern history. They finished second in the Big Ten, and until quarterback Ricky Stanzi went down with the ankle injury against a North Northwestern, these Hawks had a shot at an undefeated season, along with a Big Ten title, and perhaps a chance to play in the national championship game. Iowa finished the regular season ranked 10th in the AP poll, 11th in the USA Today Coaches poll, 11th in the Harris poll, and 10th in the all-important BCS standings. The Hawks now have the chance to top it off with a victory over a very tough and innovative Georgia Tech team that won the Atlantic Coast Conference title and finished 11-2. The Yellow Jackets ended up ninth in the BCS and AP rankings and 10th in the coaches poll. It should be a great matchup with Iowa's defense being tested by Georgia Tech's explosive option spread offense and an Iowa offense that gets Stanzi and nearly everyone else back healthy and ready to take on a very tough Yellow Jacket defense with some huge defensive linemen and ends. This is part one of our season ending show. Part two is also available. You can download both of these shows separately. The two programs feature a brief review of Iowa's win over rival Minnesota at Kinnick Stadium to end the regular season, a review of the entire 2009 season, and a preview of the 2010 Orange Bowl. There is also a discussion of the 2010 Hawkeyes looking ahead to this fall and comments about Big Ten expansion and the BCS. Great story. Compelling and rich. This is a 40-yard field goal. Hallgren has connected twice from 39, once from 34 yards away. Blocked! Blocked by the Hawkeyes! One second left on the clock. 
17-16. That's a moment right there that can swing and just shake the grounds of the Big Ten Conference either way. You know Norm Parker is just elated right now with the fact that one of his young defensive linemen is able to keep his ears pinned back and step up to make a blocked field goal to save any chances the Hawkeyes have of wanting to remain in the national rankings and keep their season on an upward arc as opposed to what could have happened if that field goal was made. By rule, it was a legal kicking play. The ball never crossed the line of scrimmage. It was recovered by the kicking team behind the line of scrimmage. The player was down, therefore the clock stops. It will start on the snap, second down. So here he is, second down. It's another 40-yard attempt for Holgren. It's blocked again. The Hawkeyes did it again. And now there's no time on the clock. Iowa has won it. 17 to 16. And the ball goes beyond the line of scrimmage this time. No question about it, Tom Wormy. The Hawkeyes yet again, two times in a row, come up with a giant play from their front on defense, saving the game and possibly saving the season for the Hawkeyes. The emotions of both sidelines, the pageantry of Kinnick Stadium, the heartbreak of college football. Absolutely unbelievable. The Hawkeyes do it again. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. In these two shows, as we did last year, we will have a roundtable discussion with Hawkeyes Mike Regulars, Marv Cook, and Pat Hardy, along with Sean Patchett. We will also replay some of the season highlights from ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network. This season, most of the Iowa games featured the top broadcast teams for their respective networks, and there are several memorable play calls that we'll share with you once again. A great job calling many of these games we very much appreciate it and thank them. And during the course of the season, we'll also hope to hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Hawkeyes Mike programming is brought to you by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefensbotanicals.com. Prefens is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa football team and the men's and women's basketball teams and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. And broadcast school has really paid off. Scott again having trouble finding anybody. Throws this one deep downfield up the grounds. And intercepted by Tyler Sass, who always seems to be around the ball. Tyler Sass, three interceptions a week ago. That one, he just played center field. It was more like a punt. His fourth pick of the year, a 43-yard return. The coach said the ball just finds the guy. <laughs> now they spread the field. Grigsby is the tailback. Grigsby will get the call. Look at that pursuit. Adrian Claiborne, the right end, chasing little Nick Grigsby all the way down the line, and he outran him. How about that? 6'3", 282 pounds, and that's just getting after it. That's playing the game fast. That's playing it hard, and that's from the back side. Grigsby, in his wildest dreams, wouldn't have ever thought that he would be caught from behind by a 282-pounder. No, and he's not going to be too fond of the idea when he sees it on film either. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the Internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time.
This is going to be a Hawkeye touchdown. This is Claiborne, the big defensive end, blocks it and takes it in. And the Hawkeyes take the lead. A stunning development here in Happy Valley. This is how Kirk Ferentz wins against Penn State. This is why he's been able to win six of the last seven against Joe Pa. They hang around, and then they come up. They look for a play in the fourth quarter to try to make it the difference in the football game. How about, Brent, the strength and the speed from Adrian Claiborne the entire game? Let's do a, a quick review of the Minnesota game. It was excellent defense, mediocre offense. Vandenberg sort of regressed. He looked more like he did in Northwestern than at Ohio State, and yet they did what they had to do to win. Uh, kind of a uh, summary of the season, uh, for the most part. I mean, I, you know, defensively, you know, this is a team that's going to hang their hat on defense all year long, and, and I think they'll continue to do so. And their defense will keep them in the game. And then it's just a matter of whether the offense can score enough points. And, and fortunately enough against Minnesota, we're able to do that. Yeah, and I think Minnesota went all out to try to um, fluster Vandenberg. They had that defensive back who they blitzed the entire game. And I was a little surprised Iowa never did a better job of countering that blitz because Vandenberg just seemed confused every time that defensive back came in there on him. But like Marv said, they did enough to win the game. The defense was dominant. I thought they would run the ball a little better, but it was. It was a microcosm of the season. Boring at times, but effective at the end. Yeah, it was an odd comment that Ference made in the post game where they asked him if Minnesota did anything defensively that they weren't prepared for, and he said no, they had seen it before, and yet I've never seen a team blitz that often and another team unable to stop it. When, when you're talking protection, especially with a young quarterback, one of the things you do is you make the playbook a little bit smaller, a little bit more condensed, uh, and kind of, you know I think what that may lead to is now you're not going to be able to pick up the double reads where the guard has to now pop out from the inside backer to the corner or a safety coming off the edge, and they maybe went to us more of a slide protection, things like that. So a lot of times it's just a simplification of the playbook when you have a new quarterback that's not able to pick up that eighth blitzer. And if that's the case, then you got to be throwing side adjust, you got to be throwing hots. You know, I was disappointed. I thought it was a great chance for the tight ends to really be dominant, and I thought they disappeared in that game for the most part from a passing standpoint. And, and uh, you know, those are the types of things. If you got a young quarterback, use the tight ends. I mean, use the tight ends, use the running backs in your checkdowns. That'll slow the blitz down. You know, if you're blitzing eight and you're hitting the tight end on a quick one, all it takes is one missed tackle, and he's off for 20, 25 yards or a touchdown. So, you know, but, but it, it was what it was. You know, I mean, Iowa is blue-collar. You know, they're just trying to win the game. They don't care how they win it. They're not going for style points. They never have. You know, that's kind of the MO. Once they get, once they got up basically four, five, six points, I think they knew Minnesota wouldn't be able to score against their defense, and they knew the game was won. They just didn't want to lose it. I think sometimes, too, Kirk says stuff in post games to protect certain players. I think Vandenberg maybe didn't do a vis as good a job as maybe they had hoped recognizing some things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the tight end was open on some plays and he didn't get it to him. And I, that was the thing that surprised us up in the press box because simple logic tells you if they're throwing guys at you, the quickest thing to do is get the ball to the tight end and let him run, and there's not going to be as many defenders out there because they're all coming at the quarterback, and that never happened. I was actually thought a couple times this year that was sort of a – a theme where Moyaki just disappeared, and I know he was being double teamed. But they'd all—if Moyaki was being double teamed, then you'd think Reisner would have been open because they're not going to have four guys on two tight ends. And if that's the case, then to me, sometimes I got a little confused as to why the tight end wasn't used more. But I mean, you can't argue with the end result. Yeah. 
Well, and, and you got to look at it. And, and DJK and McNutt came on so strong at the end of the season that they had to be accounted for. So Moyaki should have been an absolute dominant presence. I mean, you look at the great Dallas Clark in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. The reason Dallas Clark is unbelievable. One, he's a great football player. But two, he's got Reggie Wayne out there. He's got all these other weapons you got to account for. And Iowa had that McNutt and DJK. So, you know, I mean, one of those guys should have been open. And, you know, it's just a matter of finding them. And like I said, I mean, whether it was uh, protections or misreads, I mean, there's, you're right, though, as an offense, if the defense is going to pressure you, if they're bringing more than you can block, now they're susceptible somewhere else. Sure. And you got to take advantage of it. you got to throw it back on them. Because if you get in the hunker down in the shell, they're just going to keep pounding you. You know, it's the old Buddy Ryan scenario. And, and uh, you know, Georgia Tech's athletic. And so, I mean, these are adjustments they're going to have to make from their last game to the next game. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point you made, Pat, about it did seem the tight ends disappeared in the game plan in several games this year. And yet and yet when they used it, you know, look at what happened in the Michigan game and look at, at the Wisconsin game where they really, you know, they made a difference in the game. We'd ask Kirk about that a lot. And basically his answer was when you're drawing two defenders, it's hard to get the ball to Tony. And mostly he was talking about Tony, but I don't know, there were just times where it just seems like that would have been an option. And to me, that was probably the one thing on offense but then you look, Tony made first team all Big Ten despite missing three games. And so, I mean, I think a lot of that was his blocking, too. His blocking is huge. But I just think there were times where they underutilized the tight end, and I think it would have opened things up. But then I think that also led to DJK and McNutt yeah, yeah. having all their chances, and then it kind of then that opened up things for the tight end again. Because when Tony did have a big game, it was a huge game. I mean, Michigan completely disregarded him. And then after that, I think he got – people really started to recognize him as a weapon, and that's when Kirk says defense has started to make changes. But I think Georgia Tech's probably going to, wouldn't you think they're going to send pressure at Stanzi? That would be my assessment. I would think that they would they would try to bring some pressure, you know, see if he's mobile with his ankle and, and test him out that way early and try to knock him down a lot. But, uh, you know, Stanzi's got a lot of experience now, and it'll be an interesting thing to see how that chess match plays out. And, you know, maybe like you said, Marv, it might also be a product of the wide receivers really emerged this year that we haven't seen the last couple of years. So maybe, you know, whether it was the quarterback feeling more comfortable going to them or whatever, it was a more balanced, at least. Well, this is the best, I think, best receiver core at least one two with McNutt and Durrell since CJ Jones and Maurice Brown back in 02. I think with those two and they haven't Iowa hasn't had a lot of years where they've got two impact receivers on the outside and McNutt to me was one of the well we're going to address it later I mean he was one of the biggest emerging stars in the Big Ten this year. Is Minnesota as bad as they looked in that game? I mean there's a lot of talk up in the Twin Cities about getting rid of uh, Brewster. It's interesting to me because then Brewster's a guy that's names always being mentioned for other jobs, you know, which surprises the heck out of me. And it goes back to, you know, conversation we had before we got on air here about these guys having great agents, great yeah. press releases, you know, and, and great resumes. And it's it's amazing to, to see that. I, I have not seen, you know, I know Minnesota, you know, made a bowl game and they'd be playing Iowa State, but I just haven't seen, uh, you know, the kind of progression you would think from a guy that came from the Denver Broncos system, you know, Shanahan type error and having the success at the college level just hasn't played out yet the way I thought it would. They've had trouble finding an identity on offense too. I mean they wanted to be power spread and I mean they were nothing against Iowa. You could tell the quarterback just looked discombobulated. The offense just well and Penn State shut them out and I think they got one touchdown against Ohio State against the three best teams. Their offense basically did nothing. And, and yet they turned around and just gave an beat the heck out of Michigan State. Yeah they did do that and they gave him an extension. I mean he got an extension but you almost have to have four years on your contract or you can't recruit. I'm going to say right now, 
This is one of the most intelligent football teams I have watched this season. Very well coached. They know exactly what they have to do, even if they're outmanned, and that has to be the reason why. No wonder some of the NFL teams have come calling. No wonder the Jacksonville Jaguars offered him the, the keys to the kingdom a few years back. This man can flat <laughs> off football. The Raiders, the Jaguars, he has a system, and what's amazing is he's able to recruit players. He doesn't worry about five-star and four-star. He recruits players that fit the personality of his football team. Kirk Ferentz and that fine coaching staff of his, they've done it again. One of the great guys in the profession, too, Kirk Ferentz. He's, he is a class act, not just a great football coach, but he is a, a guy that you could very easily see why players want to have a chance to play for him. About as quality a guy as you'll ever meet. Well, let's uh, spend some time looking back at the 2009 season. Just your overall thoughts, each one of you. Unbelievable. I mean, a truly a magical year. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, just seeing the, uh, the the way the defensive defense played. You know, to be ranked in the top five. You know, at times, and, and to have some of the top level games, the Ohio State game, meaning you know, a chance to play for the Rose Bowl. I mean, if you go into the year saying, you know what, our second to last Big Ten game, if we go into Ohio State and win, we're going to the Rose Bowl. If we all said this conversation six months ago, we said, yes, let's take that and be very, very happy with it. And yet we had a chance to play for a national championship. You know, we were one win away at Northwestern, one injury away at Northwestern for a chance to go into Columbus with a number one quarterback and playing, be playing for a national championship right now. I mean, that's, that's how close it is. Uh, and I go back to the year Brad Banks was here. You mentioned it earlier. I mean, same thing. We lost to Iowa State early. Other than that, we would have had a chance to be uh, undefeated and, and looking at a, a champion, championship run. So a great year, a great year. He was unbelievable. I will kind of say magical in a lot of ways because you, you look at just all the different things that happened. Dace Richardson coming back a year ago, we thought his career was over. He comes back and he makes all first team all Big Ten, even though he only plays in three conference games, which is a story by itself. Tony Moyaki, I think there's a lot of people wondering. He did miss three games, but he was able to kind of play most play through injuries again and he came back and had a big year and it just seemed like everything that needed to happen did happen I mean and then what was also weird is they were able to win these games with Stansy throwing a record amount of interceptions and pick sixes and what have you it just was a it reminded it was like the 02 season in a lot of ways but this team reminds me more of the 04 team because the 04 team was not as good on offense but it had a dominating defense this team wasn't as good on offense but it had a dominating defense i think this team's better than the 04 team because this team could run the ball a little bit and then you had adam robinson emerge i mean that was another great storyline a guy just all these different things had to happen for this uh, season to play out the way it did and then they just they they just won a lot of games that they very easily could have lost and it was just a i mean a, a great season i remember running up to the Northwestern game, we were running out of adjectives. I, mean, I guess the term, we use magical many times. I, it's almost mystical what yes. happened in some of those games. Well, I use the word resilient so many times yeah. to describe the team, and that's probably the word I'll continue to use because, I mean, that's, un, that's the best word because that's I'll, what they are. I'll use ugly, too. I mean, yeah. it, was, I, it, was, it was the best of times and the, and the worst of times. I mean, it was, there was some, a lot of ugliness. Uh, in the season, I mean, you and I game. I mean, I mean, but you and I is a good football team, and they got a lot of talent. So, but you know, and then Arkansas State's a game, and, and you know, it wasn't a blowout. And I mean, it just—it's kind of the way they play the game, and, and it, they always have. A lot of the games are close, and but you know, can't you can't argue with the results. What were your 
let's just go around the table. What preseason, before you knew and after you knew about the Jewel Hampton injury, what I was your? I had him going eight and four. Eight and four. I had him going eight and four. Regardless of Hampton? Five and three in the Big Ten because I had him losing at Ohio State. I had him losing at Iowa State regardless of Hampton. And everyone's like, how can you do that? Well, because they have a history of losing at Iowa State. I, I would have thought probably seven wins. I, I, mean, I'll, I'm, I don't think the Big Ten was as strong as I thought it was going to be going into the year. I mean, I think uh, you know a lot of teams ended up being a lot more mediocre than I thought they would be. Penn State wasn't as strong as I thought they would be. Ohio State wasn't as strong as I thought they would be, and some other mid, mid-tier teams there. But uh, but you know, like I said, it turned out to be you know defense truly can win championships, and you can be as so Chicago Bears, that offense wasn't very good when they won the Super Bowl, but that defense was unbelievable. And that you know, defense truly does win championships. I think if, if most people would have said, well, you're only going to have two losses in the Big Ten, not many of us would have picked the Northwestern game as one of those losses. I mean, you would have picked Penn State or Wisconsin, you know, maybe yeah, I had Michigan them, State. I had them losing to Iowa State. I think I had them losing to Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Those are my four losses. I did, But the Northwestern game, in a way, we should start learning our lesson. I know the Stansy injury was a big factor, obviously, but Northwestern's had Ferentz's number. That's the one. They're his version of Penn State in a way. I mean, they've I mean, they've beaten Iowa in years where they shouldn't have beaten Iowa. They have a way of coming through at the end. I, I will say, though, if Ricky Stanzi doesn't get hurt, we're playing a week later. We're playing three I would agree. Later. I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I still don't have a problem with the play they call that got him hurt. I know a lot of fans are just outraged on that, but I mean, I, if that play would have worked, O'Keefe would have been a genius, but since it backfired, it was a terrible call because he exposed him deep in the own territory. I mean, you're in a no-win situation yeah. as a play caller in that. But, but I, I agree with you. I, I think there's no way you'll ever convince me I will lose that game if Stanzi. No, I agree with that. But I'm not sure Stanzi would have played as well as Vandenberg did out of Ohio it, State. And that might be true, too. Yeah. That was almost a magical game for Vandenberg. A couple of those passes. We're moving on. Your most important game of the season. Penn State. I mean, uh, that, that catapulted this team, you know, onto the national uh, platform I mean, as a, as a contender. Uh, you know, national TV and just a defensive, you know, in, in, the, in the announcing, the announcers basically just put Iowa up there as one of the most dominant teams in the Big Ten and a contender. So uh, for me, it was the Penn State game. I said the Penn State game earlier when we were talking, and then you brought up the Northern Iowa game. And I can see both of them, but I'm going to stick with Penn State because I think had they lost to Northern Iowa, had that field goal not been blocked, but then gone on to beat Penn State and started winning all those Big Ten games, they would have eventually started to recover from that Northern Iowa loss. It would have still been there, but had they gone out to Penn State and lost, I think people would have been like, okay, they're they're going to be an okay team in the Big Ten, but that's made a huge statement. And the way they did it, so like Marv said, it catapulted them up to a higher level. And I just think they would have been able to offset that Northern Iowa loss as bad as it was. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan lost. Didn't Michigan lose a game in 07? Didn't they lose to... Appalachia State. And they ended the season by beating Florida in a bowl game. So there, there's a lot of time to recover from that. But I think the Penn State loss, had they lost that game, they would have had a lot, hard time in the Big Ten recovering from that. As we look down the list of things we're going to discuss, it's hard to put numbers, your best, your top three, you know, whatever. Because this season had so many interesting games and key plays. But, you know, it, it would it's interesting to think back about what would have happened if Iowa would have lost that UNI game. I mean, how much of a tone did that set when they blocked those two field goals and when they pulled that game out versus if they had lost to UNI? We can talk about how good UNI is forever. What might that have done? 
add-on to the, the psyche of the team because to me that game kind of set the bar in the sense that this team never thought they were ever out of a game. I, I think that's the, that, you hit it right there at the end. It, it taught them a lesson that the game is never over until it's over. You know, and, and you could fall behind 10 points, 15 points, 3 points. Until that clock says 0, 0, 0, it's not over. And I think that's the number one message they got from that. That's, a, that's the best point I've heard right there. And maybe they got humbled a little bit from that game too and they went back to work that next week because they played Iowa State the next week and I think had one of their best performances, especially since Iowa State turned out to be not a bad team. They dominated that game, so it was an eye-opener and it did show them that they can, nothing's over until it's over, but... Well, we, we got to also keep that in perspective. I, I say you and I, I'm basing a lot of you and I's on their, on their tradition, their history. You know, they got whooped a couple games they lost, this year. They didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. What they go, seven and five? You know, and now that Arizona win doesn't look as impressive as no. it did after watching Nebraska That's a good point. pretty good, That's too. A good point. So. The Iowa State is one of their, that could be their, one of their top two or three victories of the season. Well, let, let's go to that. What's the most impressive team performance in a game this past season? I was going to say defense against Penn State and offense against Ohio State under the circumstances. That would be, I mean, so the, the Penn State game, just defense from start to finish. But if, if you're talking about a game from start to finish, the entire package, I would say probably Arizona, even though what happened against Nebraska, because Arizona was pretty respected coming in, and I never felt in that game that Iowa wasn't in control. I'm going to go with Wisconsin, just from a standpoint that, you know, I thought Michigan wasn't physical. I thought Penn State wasn't physical. Wisconsin's a physical football team, and they're a lot like what we are, what Coach France wants the team to be. And to be able to come from behind again in that game uh, and to make the plays down the stretch and stop Wisconsin when they had to stop them and, and really you know, move the ball effectively on offense, I think that was probably the most impressive uh, performance I've seen for the team this year. It looks a lot better now after what Wisconsin did to right. Miami. I, I still think in terms of the overall performance, you look at the offense, they played really well in Penn, or the Iowa State game. But I... In, in terms of putting a complete game together at that point in the season um, where both teams were, I still like the Iowa-Arizona game because mm -hmm. Iowa showed that it could, it, it, first of all in that game, and one of the outstanding play-by-play -play calls all year long was the TV call on the, uh, where Claiborne tracked down Arizona's Gr Grigsby. Oh, uh, Spavay. Right. Uh, no, Claiborne no, went down the went down the line and tracked yeah, him back, and the and the, uh, the television people said, you know, essentially, well, my goodness, if people talk about West Coast speed. Iowa's defense has incredible speed, and both in terms of the offensive and the defensive matchups, and what Iowa showed against a team that still has a fair amount of speed out there. And at that point in the season, was good, and they went on to beat mm -hmm. you know USC and that's Spavay play too. Lost. Do you guys remember that? Where Nick Grigsby got loose on yes. that, and he ran him down. They ended up not scoring on that. That to me, that because that got a lot of play afterwards, and Kirk brought that play up two or three times. I think they used that play. That really kind of, to me, kind of pushed this team to another level because I think Kirk was able to show these guys this is what it takes, and they got that type of effort from that point on. I mean, he ran that kid down from behind from for 50 yards. Well, on the flip side, what's the most disappointing team performance in a game this season? Most disappointing. I've got my answer. You want me to go? Yeah, I'm going to say Arkansas State because they ended up being 4-8 and eight and they were lucky to win that game. I think that was a day where they just, I'm not saying they went through the motions, but they were not very impressive. They made that quarterback look a lot better than he was because I watched him two weeks later against Louisiana Monroe and he looked bad. I just thought they looked lethargic and were very lucky to win that game. Yeah, I'd say the same. I'd have to agree with that. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, that was a... It's not even a trap game. It was. It was just a. You know. It was just a game that 
the, the second, third string could have lined up and played and won the game. It was a uh, turned into a big pillow fight. Yeah, I, I agree that was that was not a very good performance. But I guess my most disappointing game would have been Northwestern. And I understand, you know, the Stansy injury played a big role in that. But the defense wasn't able to really stop the Northwestern's offense. And you know, once Stansy went down, and then the controversy surrounding well, did Vandenberg ever get any reps with the first team in practice? You know what what some of the Laga said versus maybe some of the coaches. I, just to me, that overall game, it, it was just like everything was on the line and just all the air went out there. Yeah, I think it was more disappointing from a circumstance standpoint, yeah. but I'm still saying yeah. Northwestern is a lot better than Arkansas yes. State. I mean, I think sometimes we still think of Northwestern back in the days when you used to play, and those days are gone. I mean, Northwestern, they won nine games last year, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they beat Auburn this year. And I think what helped Northwestern is the fact that Kafka was hurt because that Persia, the backup quarterback, came in there, and his ability to run, Iowa had trouble adjusting to that. So, yeah, I mean, that was, to me, the most disappointing game from a circumstance then because the air just came out of the balloon that day. Play clock ticking away, final two seconds. Stanzi will drop it off. There's that hole in the secondary, and they attack it for a 34-yard touchdown. Tony Moyaki off the injury list. Herbie, what's most impressive about that is it came on third and 12. Amen. Stanzi, he's got Moyaki, and Reisner's out in front. This could be a second touchdown. Moyaki scores for the second time here tonight. A 42-yard score. The other tight end, he led the way to the end zone. So Kirk Ferentz's decision to pass up the field goal, leave Michigan in poor field position, pays a dividend after the punt. This will be a high-risk play on third and 24. Maybe that surprised me. Stands he is. Going deep middle. And there is Johnson Cooley. Johnson Koulianis. For 47 yards, and it is a first and goal for Stanzi and the Hawks. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Best team offensive performance. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the drive, uh, Michigan State. Uh, you know, and I, and I think it, it won the game. You know, and our defense gives up a, a hail mary. You know, and it looks like it's over. And there's, you know, I can't remember how much time was left, but you know, Iowa gets the ball back and, and, and just executed flawlessly the two minute offense, which I haven't seen Iowa execute the two minute offense in ten years. You know, with precision and with, oh my God, I thought they handled every instant perfectly. And they did on that drive. And it was unbelievable. It was critical. I mean, it was another one of those early games that either had a chance to be mediocre or great. And, and that was that moment where they were able to step up and be great. So, I mean, that is, this from the whole execution of the offense on that drive at Michigan State was. I'm going to say the Ohio State game, just because of the circumstances, 
and because of how good Ohio State's defense was. I never dreamed Vandenberg would throw for 200 and what was it, 200, almost 230 yards. And they were able to run the ball a little bit, probably not as well as they should have been. And I also will say the fourth quarter against Indiana. I mean, I know it was Indiana, they were falling apart, but yeah, they'll, I would say the Ohio State game just from start to finish and then the fourth quarter against Indiana, because then the offense finally opened up and was doing what we thought they were gonna do the whole game against Indiana. You could also make a case that the offense performed really well at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. I mean, it totally dominated there, and it performed really well in the Arizona game. And Michigan. And, and Michigan. But Michigan's defense was not typical Michigan defense this year. Well, this one's probably even harder to pick. Best team defensive performance. I'll do mine right now, Penn State. Yeah, with the exception of the first play of the game. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with that. It was just, uh, I mean, and, and to me, if I finally got one of those high-def televisions and, and the cameras now, you can actually see the guy's face and the clarity of it. And, and when Spivet got beat, there was no sense of panic, yeah. no sense of urgency, no sense of, oh my God, and you, you know, when the defensive line's sitting there waiting for the offense to break the huddle, and, and, and they're ready. You know, and it, and it was at that moment that I knew that this defense was, was pretty special, and it really is a special defense. They've got the pieces all in place, Eads, Anger, you know, Ben, Claiborne. I mean, just across the board, you know, they've got what they need at each position, and, and, and they just play unbelievable team defense. Let me, let's just take a minute and talk about that. Is this the fastest Iowa defense you've seen overall team speed? I, I don't know about that. I, it's the soundest to me. It's this, they, they have rush angles, and they pursue the ball extremely well, and then they're great tacklers. I mean, they're great uh, open field tacklers. I, I've been really impressed with Sash and our safeties and corners coming up and, and locking down. I mean, they, you get slot receivers, you play the spread, they try to get guys in the slot and in space, and our guys are able to come up and lock them down one-on-one and, and, and bring them down quickly. And, you know, Claiborne, Ben, I think it's, I think it's the fastest defensive ends we've had in a long time and these guys wreak havoc i mean norm parker once sat i was i sat in a meeting with norm parker and he was you know people were asking questions he's the most important guy in the team he says the guy with the ball who's the second most important guy the guy chasing the guy with the ball well that's his defensive ends you know that was when he had matt roth and and it truly is i mean that's if you can if you got good defensive ends in this defense and you can rush four and get away with that you got a chance and they got that i mean these guys up front can get after it it's all over the field, you know, going to the spring games. When I was little, all the way up to now, the scrimmages and media days and stuff, I mentioned to you earlier this spring that all over the field, everybody looks faster, that the team as a whole looks faster than I've seen in a long time. I think it might be the best combination of power and speed since I've been here defensive-wise. Now, I look at the secondary, I don't take any of those guys in the secondary and say they're first. I mean, Tyler Sash, if you say his best attribute, it's not his speed. Mm-hmm. I would. So I don't think it's necessarily they got blinding speed in the secondary. They've just got speed at important spot, spots like what Marv was saying at the defensive end position. Pat Anger is not a fast middle linebacker. A.J. Eads is pretty good. I just think they've got speed at the right spots and a good combination. And Claiborne's a lot of speed, but he's a lot of power too. And I think they've just got a good combination of everything. Just as an observer this year, I thought I noticed the defensive backs playing closer to the line of scrimmage than I ever remember them playing in, in recent memory. And so whether that's a combination, uh, you know, we weren't laying off the line 10 yards and we weren't playing as much cushion, it looked to me like, as a non-expert. And I don't know whether that was a, a combination of the quality of the defensive backs or the, or the quality of the line and the ends, being able to put pressure that the backs felt they could play closer to the to the receivers. Well, I mean, Spivet's 
the real deal at corner, and, and, and I think you got Greenwood and Sash at the safeties. And the key, the key for a corner, if you're going to get up and jam and you're going to get up in someone's grill and, and play press, if you still know you got some, some help over the top, and, and that's where Greenwood and Sash are so important in their positioning, and, and those guys are so smart, and, and you know, I mean, it's a, it becomes a geometry thing. It becomes, I got to make sure that I can get to this area by the time the ball can get there. And, and when those guys are able to cover over the top, these corners can be more aggressive up front. And I agree with you, I've seen the exact same thing. And they, and they used to drive me nuts, third and eight, nine yard hitch. And they would bang it all day long. You know, we'd almost hope for them to drop it. We take that away, if you got corners that can take that away and still run and get back and get vertical with guys, if they do go vertical on you and, and can you know compete and, and contest the throw, then you got a chance. And I think we did a good job of that this year as well. Jumping back to the previous topic and the best offensive performance, and one of the things I meant to mention, you talked about that last drive in the Michigan State game, and to me that was almost a microcosm of the psyche of this offense and the sort of cool, calm, collectedness of Rick Stanzi. The whole offensive team just seemed to reflect. That That was almost a clinical performance, that last drive. Nobody ever looked like they were panicked. People seemed to know exactly where they were supposed to be and, and run the plays they were supposed to run. And when they had a couple of plays that didn't work so well, there was n- no panic, no slapping people on the helmets, no nothing. It was it was a very impressive. You just saw that in game after game. There's Sure. Meanwhile, Iowa with a third down and seven. Moeaki right there, not caught a pass all day. And Stanzi in trouble. Wisconsin came with a corner blitz. Stanzi for Moeaki. He caught it. Touchdown, Iowa. The quarterback Stanzi finally makes something happen. He buys some time. This is way too much time for the defensive backs to be covering these guys downfield. But Stanzi gets out of the pocket, finds him in the end zone. This is going to be tough because we've already been kicking it around before we started recording, but top three plays of the season. I said to you earlier, I kind of forgot the block field goal against Northern Iowa, but I have to put that in there. McNutt's catch and Claiborne's block. So my fourth uh, odd man out would be DJK's kick return against Ohio State since they lost that game. But yeah, I would go with Claiborne's block and then the, the second block. Do you do both block yeah, field goals? Yeah, I, I can. Well, we can give people license to say the two block field goals count yeah, as you one gotta play. Put, yeah. To me, you got to put Claiborne's block, punt, and uh, McNutt catch at Michigan State along with the f- field goals against Northern Iowa. Uh, uh, Claiborne's block punt was one of the most unbelievable plays I've seen a college football player make. I mean, the defensive end coming in, it was it, it was a punt safe. I mean, you know, he we're just rushing one guy. Basically, if it's a bad snap, is why you bring those guys, you know, because then they can cover it up. And he just runs through the personal protector and blocks it, scoops it up and runs it in. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And uh, just glad to see he decided to come back for another year. McNutt's touchdown, it, it, it was huge. And then my third was uh, Spivay running the guy down in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah. it, Pat's right. It was a seven-point, it, it was a four-point swing for our defense. You yeah. know, they ended up getting a field goal, but one, it, it showed the stoutness of our defense. They couldn't run, they couldn't get one yard against our defense. And I think that just catapulted his defense, you know what, we are. To me, it was just the, the mindset that we're going to contest every square inch on this football field. And that's the way they play. And, and that play to me was huge from that standpoint. And it was one of their star players doing it, too. I mean, that, I think that just served notice to the guys who weren't as celebrated to him. Wow, look at the effort he's making. And number one, the 
Claiborne block punt. Number two, the field goals. And then number three, I was trying to think of one that wasn't, you know, one of the first ones that come to mind. And I picked Milwaukee's 34-yard touchdown in the first quarter against Michigan. Singing right after Michigan scores 40 seconds in, 46 with a pick six. Night game, huge atmosphere, been building up all day. Right there, it's just like... They score, and it's just so disappointing. Then to come right back and get that touchdown, I thought after that, even though it's the middle of the first quarter, it was just like, I was like, all right, now we can do this. It was like, that touchdown right there just catapulted in the rest of that game, like, here we are, this, it's our game. I don't think Michigan ever defended the tight end in that game. Yeah, Tony, I've never yeah. seen Tony more wide open than in that game. I guess my picks, would I wouldn't ever have picked the one blocked field goal to win a game, but back-to-back blocked field goals after that, the whole rule interpretation and everything, and I was in the press box for that game, and it, I mean, even up there, people were talking about how unbelievable that finish was. The, the, the Claiborne blocked punt, I mean, and you're tempted to pick, I'm going to try to pick different plays, uh, the new guys picked because the McNutt catch to win the game at Michigan State, obviously. But I'll pick the pinball interception against Indiana. That turned that game around. Yeah. And besides yeah. that, that was one of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen in football at any level. A ball ping-ponged off of five people. Yeah. You're right. That might have been. I mean, it's easy to say, well, it wouldn't have mattered because we ended up scoring 20 some unanswered points, but I'm telling you what, they would have, I can't remember what they would have went up on us at that time. Almost three touchdowns. It would have changed our business. We we ran the ball effectively after that. Yeah. And we would have been forced to throw the ball all over the yard. I think it won the, I think it, I think it won us that game. I, I think without that play, we lose that game. So I think this is obvious. You can't pick top three. Oh, play. it's got to be Not this season. Because, yeah. I mean, when, you, when I think back to that Indiana play, that may have altered the course of the season more than, I mean, had they lost. So, so yeah, I mean, to me, it's almost like top five or six plays. Now, we've all thought about positive plays, but I, to me, the top sort of negative play of the year was Stan Z's yeah, injury obviously. play. I mean, that. And well, not, not going for two against Ohio State. Yep. That'd be matter. Or Sean mentioned earlier, uh, Ferentz not trying to run a play at the end of regulation at Ohio State. The thing that keeps, it's not just one play, but to me, there. I mean, you could pick a number of runs that Ohio State had against Iowa. Iowa gave up 229 yards rushing that day. They shredded them. And, I mean, the Brandon Sane 49-yard touchdown run where he went untouched, a huge hole off left tackle, to me, that would be one of the most disappointing plays because I've ne- that was the only time this season where Iowa was manhandled from a physical standpoint in a game. Granted, it was Ohio State, but this was, I mean, Ohio State did not have a great offense. Which I was a little surprised they ran against Iowa as well as they did. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Pryor's the, the real deal. And oh, Pryor yeah. was effective and, and caused some problems for him. But, you know, I mean, they had some big chunks yardage running-wise. But, I mean, I thought our defense still played well enough to win the game, and Trussell kept us in it, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to some individual performances, your top three offensive stars and your top three defensive stars. Well, offensive Stanzi, Robinson, and um, probably, probably McNutt. I mean, just the way he came on and played. And then defensively, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Claiborne, uh, Anger, and then uh, Spivay. I mean, Spivay is a difference maker at corner. A lot of times, when you don't get a corner's name mentioned a lot, there's a reason they just don't throw at him. I mean, they just know he's good enough where they won't even throw at him. So I thought he did a nice job, with the exception of the Penn State play, where he just did a good job of covering his half of the field. Same three on defense. I think it's, to me, that's almost not even debatable. I mean, Anger's a first-team All-American linebacker. Claiborne was one of the top defensive linemen in the Big Ten. And Spivay, like Mars said, when you have a cornerback that you can basically just kind of put out there on an island and not have to worry about that, it helps the defense in so many ways. Offensively, what I have trouble here with is Adam Robinson could be 
top offensive star, but he could also be an emerging star because he, just like Brandon Wager, had not played until this year. But since he was the more of the main running back, I'll give him offensive along with Stanzi because I just think his ability to overcome adversity and the players fed off of him. And then my other one comes down to either DJK or Darrell. I don't like calling him DJK. Darrell or McNutt. I'm going to go with McNutt like Marv did because I think fans expected 700 yards receiving from Durrell this year at least. I don't think any of us expected McNutt to lead the team in touchdowns and to become their go-to receiver in a lot of ways. I mean, he, some of the catches he made, I mean, that catch at Michigan State, that looked, I'm assuming, I'm never never in that type of situation, but I don't think that's as easy as it looks. And the catch he made at Ohio State, I mean, he just has a knack for making big catches and we did not know what he was about before coming in this year. I had the same bunch, offense and defense, and Stanzi Robinson, just because of the situation he was put into, and McNutt just because he was so exciting to watch and really had a huge impact. I guess I would, um, it, it's hard, I mean, you've got to have Stanzi there and you probably do have to have Robinson and that's going to be, you know, maybe the same answer on a couple of these for the next topic and you've got to have McNutt, although it's hard to pick between McNutt and Johnson Culliano. Well, you could go Johnson Culliano as a top offensive player then put it McNutt as merging since McNutt right. hadn't played this year. I guess that's what I would do. I mean, I, I think back in a whole lot of games, you know, we went through a couple of the games where for whatever reason, DJK wasn't starting and then he wouldn't be on the field for quite a while and then when he did show up on the field, all he did was make a difference every single time. Yeah. Defense, I'll go a little bit different direction just because I want to throw out different names. I mean, obviously Claiborne, just just unbelievable, and boy, am I glad he's coming back. And and I think Angerer, just because of the position he played and how much difference he made game in and game out. But I'll pick, and then nobody's picked Tyler Sash. Yeah. Uh, you could pick, but I'm going to say Brett Greenwood because he sits back there and you know he, he he makes some of the defensive play calls, and when he the time that he was injured this season, you could tell a difference in that defensive backfield. And I think, you know, there's a guy who doesn't get that much pub, but he, he had an outstanding year. I would agree with that. Let's do the same thing. Emerging offensive players and emerging defensive players. you got to go with Vandenberg and Weger. Uh, Brandon Weger just, I think, is going to be a great player. It's going to be interesting to see how the staff uses him. He's a different running back than I was used to. You know, he's a scat guy, he's a screen guy, and he's very, very uh, effective doing those types of things. But he's, he's not a power back that, that I was used to having. And then Vandenberg, obviously, I think he's got a, a great future. And then defensively, you know, these are guys that I, I don't think you call them emerging stars because they're, they're good football players. And, but Benz and then Jeremiah Hunter, I think they're just, you know, the, the, every defensive guy you could pick because, I mean, they truly all played their position at a high level. You know, if you tried to pick a weakness, Honestly, I mean, just if you pick a weakness in our defense, our top eleven, there isn't. Mm-hmm. When the, you know, there's no weak links. The weakest, the, the weakest point of a chain is, is you know, is the weakest link. You know, the, the, so that's where you try to pick on. And the problem is with this defense, you can't. And there weren't really any weak links in the defense that showed up when the starters would go out. I mean, the people who came in and played backup. I think for me, emerging on offense, I would say um, Wegger for a lot of the same reasons Marv said. And I think what's interesting about Wegger, a lot of people wonder about the logjam at running back next year. To me, Wegger's the one guy 
at running back that they could be flexible with. I don't think Jewel, and I don't think you're going to see Adam Robinson move to receiver. Jewel Hampton's not built like a receiver. Brad Rogers, the big guy coming in from Maryland. I bet Weger, to me, they could use him in multiple formations, which to me makes him valuable. Another guy, obviously McNutt, you could say was an emergent, but I think Riley Reef too. I think the fact that he came in when Balaga was out and held his own, and I think he kind of gave them some stability there when they were a little concerned about it, and I think he kind of focuses a little bit on the future, too. And then Vandenberg. I mean, obviously Vandenberg, to do what he did at Ohio State, I think you know that there's definitely life after um, Stanzi. I had the same ones pretty much. Weger was the first one that came to mind, and I just really, it's really exciting to see him living up to his potential. There was so much hype around him before he was at Iowa, before he even committed, and watching his videos on YouTube and stuff, and it's just really exciting to see him perform the way he is. And defense, you know, Greenwood. I guess I would, um, I agree with everything all of you guys said. I'll, I'll just focus on a couple of defensive players. And I thought the emergence, especially after, you know, the senior losses last year of Ballard and Carl Klug in the interior of the defensive line, they, boy, it didn't look to me like we dropped off at all from King and Kroll. They were awesome this year. And, you know, the fact that the defensive end play was so good, I'm sure helped them interior, but they had to have a lot to do with how good the defensive end play was. I think Marv brought up a good point too with Jeremiah Hunter. He didn't even make honorable mention all Big Ten this year. He started every game for the last two years when he's been healthy. I think he finished eighth in the conference in tackles this year. He sometimes gets lost with anger and ease, but to me, he's the best combination on their team of linebacker at defending the pass and also being physical against the run. Anger is great against the run. He has some issues at times against the pass. Ease is great out in space, but Hunter, to me, and Hunter's you know, their one returning linebacker coming back next year, but I was surprised that he didn't get any type of recognition in Big Ten, but he just goes about his business, and when he leaves here, he'll be a three-year starter and one of the all-time leading tacklers. You know, one of, one of, the, one of the interesting things, that, and I'm glad you brought it up, was Matt Kroll and Mitch King's presence. Uh, Kirk Ferentz talked about last year at Bolton that the greatest thing that he took from it was it was an extra 20 days that the young players were able to you know, spend with that senior class from last year and the way they prepared and, and, and the lessons they learned from starting slow and finishing strong and not having those same mistakes happen this year. And, and I think that that experience for this defense has just been huge. I mean, the ability to prepare each and every day, get better each and every day, and, and, and has been a strong presence. But you're right, those two guys inside, I got to go back and agree with you. Those are the two emerging stars. Because if you'd have told me we'd have been fine losing, you know, Matt Kroll and Mitch King inside and we've been okay, we still have the best defense in Big Ten. I said, you're crazy. So those two guys, you got to take your hat off your right. And Tolzien throwing into double coverage. It's intercepted again. Spave with his second pick of the game. And the third by Iowa. Iowa came in as the second in the second in the nation in takeaways and in interceptions. Spave 19. He vision all the way. That's just great coaching, Chris, and you can attest to that. Norm Parker and the defensive coaches keep their eye on the ball. They play a lot of zone, jam, get your eye on the ball and see where it's coming. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the middle of the film. That concludes part one of this program. Part two follows in a separate podcast. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.